Uh, you know that for the past six weeks, we've been talking through the commitments of membership here at the Melrose site. This morning, we're transitioning back to the book of Galatians, and we're in the final passage of this letter. We've called this sermon series, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, because in this letter, Paul has been saying repeatedly that justification is through Jesus alone. And in our text today, we're at the conclusion of the letter, and Paul's kind of summarizing. You know when you summarize a letter, you kind of make your main points again. This letter's been intense, and it's concluding with a warning. The verse today that I'm going to zero in on is Galatians 6.12, and Paul is going to, in this letter, warn and describe what false teachers are like. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So pray with me. God, we ask that by your Spirit you would make me right now a clear and faithful preacher, and that you would make us a humble and obedient people who hear and do your word. We need your help for that, and we ask for it. Amen. Okay. Here's a question. What do false teachers look like today? We know that there were a lot of false teachers uh, when Christianity was kind of uh, getting its birth in the first century, but what do false teachers actually look like today? I actually saw a good example of this recently. Some of you might know or may have heard of that, uh, that Oprah Winfrey is putting on an eight-city tour this fall called The Life You Want. She's gathering together kind of an eclectic group of gurus and self-help experts and soothsayers, and she's pushing um, themes like empowerment, resilience, authenticity. I'm using the language on the website. Um, but she said the stated purpose of the tour, which will be traveling around North America, would be to live the fullest and highest fulfillment of yourself as a human being. Now, it's not necessarily interesting or novel that that Oprah is on a self-help crusade, but it is interesting that one of her chosen companions is a formerly Christian author and pastor named Rob Bell. This might be a familiar name to some of you, some of you it's not. Uh, in a promotional video for, the, for this tour, Belle and Oprah sat on a porch together while Oprah asked Belle questions. They had a little, like, soul to soul, they called it. So she would say, what is God like? And Belle would respond with his conception of what God is like. And then she would say, what is the soul? And Belle would respond with his musings about what the soul is. And then she would say, fill in the blank. And she would say something like, my favorite thing to do on a Sunday morning is, and Belle would respond. And then she would say, what the world needs is, and Belle would respond. And at one point she said, I believe, and Belle responded by saying, we are all going to be fine. Fine. Nothing is wrong. So hold that in your mind for a second, Um, that idea of fine. I worked uh, worked in a uh, previous time in my life for a couple years as a project manager 
for a, for a school software company. Our clients were private schools, and we, uh, we sold them school information systems. I know that doesn't sound very exciting. It wasn't. Um, but I was, I was basically a middleman in, in this process. So a private school, be it in the United States or an international school, would decide to purchase our software. They would go through this whole sales process, and then once the contract had been signed, the project would get handed over to me. So the first part of my job was to train all the people at the school how to use the software. And then the second part of my job was to gather all the data that the school had, which sometimes these were historic schools that had hundreds of, like, hundreds of years of data, to gather all that stuff and to give it over to our technical people so that they could make sense of it and make it as useful as possible in our new system. So... When I began a relationship with a school, they would inevitably come to me with this high level of anxiety because they'd already have gone through the sales process, they would have already signed a contract, and they would have already have cut a really big check. And now, now it was like the tough work of learning how to use this and um, making sure that all this data was going to be useful and that we didn't lose historic records, that it would all be coherent. They had to learn all that, and we, of course, always had a timeline. School would be starting soon. So when I first would sit down with a school, what do you think my tone was like? It was always, I tried to always be very friendly, very warm, very reassuring. And I would say to them, everything is going to be fine. We've done this before. Everything's going to be fine. And that was the right approach to take. Because over a period of months, I would train them, and they would begin to get used to their new system, all their information would come out clean and polished, and they would become happy paying customers. That was generally what was happening. Then one time, I was working on a project with a school in Texas, and I started to get this uneasy sense that, that the people on our end were falling behind. We were creating these customized uh, report cards for them, and I started to feel like we might not meet our deadline. What should I have done at this point? I had two choices, right? One was I could break the hard news to the school. I could say, hey, those documents are going to be late. I know you have hundreds of students and parents that are counting on these report cards to come out at a certain time, but you're going to need to figure out an alternative solution. I kind of felt like they weren't going to like hearing that. And that was a conversation that I was probably going to get criticized in if it happened, and I felt like these people liked me, they trusted me, I didn't want to tell them that we might be behind. So my second choice was, I could just continue to say, everything's going to be fine. And that way I could avoid the tense conversation and the criticism, and hopefully our technical guys would start working faster and we'd pull it off. So that's the option I went with. The due date came, and we weren't done. And I remember a very angry conversation, a very angry conversation with the school headmaster. One of the many things that she said was, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you warn us? We could have prepared for this. And I learned two things that day. One is, 
I need another job. And two, don't say everything is fine unless you are sure that it actually is. Don't say everything's fine unless you're sure that it actually is. Keep that in mind as we get into this text. In this last passage from Galatians 6, 11 through 18, Paul's summarizing right, the main themes of the letter, and he starts by saying, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hands. Most likely what's been happening is that Paul has been dictating this letter to a scribe. That was customary in his time. And now in this last section, he's writing with his own hand. This, this is Paul proving the, authentic, the authenticity of his authorship to his readers. It's kind of like Paul is underlining his intensity right now and his sincerity by saying, look at the big letters, just so we're clear, this is me, this is Paul, this is my signature. I'm writing this thing. Now, then he says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they would not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Okay, so who are those that Paul's referring to who want to make a good showing in the flesh? Who are the people that Paul is speaking of? These are the false teachers. These are the Judaizers that we've talked about who are promoting continued ritual observance of the Mosaic law. These are the guys that Paul wrote about earlier in Galatians, when he said, when he talked about false brothers who were secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out your freedom. It was the words of these false teachers that instigated the whole letter. These teachers were saying that right standing before God requires continued observance of the Mosaic law. And that's why they wanted to force Gentile Christians to be circumcised. Circumcision had always been an outward symbol of law-keeping. And Paul has been insisting, no, no, justification before God is only by grace. We only stand before God with confidence through the freely given offer of salvation accomplished through the work of Jesus on the cross. Paul's insisting on that. That's been the central theme of this whole letter. And now as he summarizes, he goes beyond the theological debate and he says, I want to tell you what's motivating these guys. I want to tell you what their real angle is. When I was in college, I had a phase where I decided to, that I wanted to play the guitar. Some of you know this, actually. If you are a white guy who goes to a liberal arts college, they actually will not let you graduate unless you can play at least four chords. So I decided I needed to buy a guitar. And I had a good friend who played guitar, and he was looking to get rid of one of his instruments. He told me I could take it off his hands for $600. We were friends. I didn't know a lot about music. I trusted him, and I'd been working over the summer, so I said, okay, and I paid him the money. So flash forward a few years. I graduated. I was figuring out next steps. I had no money, and I no longer felt this need to be playing the guitar. It was basically in the same condition that it was when I bought it. And I was happy that I had this asset that was worth several hundred dollars. I only sold the guitar for a hundred dollars. And that's when I started to realize that my friend might not necessarily have had my best interests in mind. 
He might have just been self-interested. That's kind of what circumcision is like. If you've ever paid too much for a used instrument, if you've ever like, signed up for a needless warranty, someone sold it to you like he had your best interest in mind. In reality, he's profiting at your expense. That's kind of a disenchanting thing to think about, and it's a heavy accusation, really, to assign those motives. But I want you to notice, Paul has no hesitations about assigning motives right now to these false teachers. And that's what I mean when I say this is not a technical dispute. Paul is saying this is really not even a dispute about grace. At a gut level, this isn't even about what's objectively true. He's telling his readers, they just want to make a good showing. They want to make a good appearance on the outside. That's why they're telling you that you need to be circumcised. Okay, so let's look at this idea of good showing. We all have motives, right, in the way that we show ourselves. There are certain times when we feel the need in a particular way to make a good showing. So one of the, one of the things that I would think of is a job interview. When you go to the, one of these, you want to look and sound your best, right? How many of you have had a job interview before where it's like, Almost the whole thing went well, but when you're driving home, you're like, yeah, I said something stupid. Like, or you're like, there was something I wasn't prepared for, and that bothers you the whole way home, and maybe for days, because you're like, that job interview, I made a good showing for like 97% of it, but then you're like, why did I say that thing? Or it might be, it might be a tryout, right? If you ever try and make a team, you're going to hustle and look like the most committed uh, like you're trying as hard as you possibly can to make that team. You want to play your best and hustle nonstop. It might be your first date. If you care at all about this date, you're going to look your best. You're, hopefully you're going to sound your best. You're going to think about what you're, you're going to wear, and you're going to present your most likable version of yourself. And how about if it all goes well, and one day you need to meet the parents, right? Those are some nerves. You want to make a good showing. You want to make the most of that opportunity. So let me ask you this. Is it wrong to want to make a good showing? Well, in the examples that I've given, we would probably say, no, your motives here are simple and uncomplicated. You want the job, or you want to make the team, or you love this girl or this guy, and you want want that love to be reciprocated. What Paul is saying is they want to make a good showing, but their motives are not what they seem. What they are teaching you is not for your good. They want to force you to be circumcised, but why? Only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Well, what does that mean? Only in order that they may not be persecuted. Well, if we look a little bit at the background, when Paul came to the region of Galatia, he came preaching the gospel. He was preaching about repentance from sin and life and freedom found in Jesus. He was telling people that salvation was free for Jew and Gentile alike. Salvation was by grace, through faith. And stunningly, to his audience, that offer was completely unconnected to circumcision. That is a very offensive message to people who already believed they had obtained their salvation. Their religion was based on externals and rule-keeping, and Paul came and said, no, 
The cross is the only way to salvation. There can be no self-salvation. Your external behavior, your ritual purification, your religious heritage, they are not going to get the job done. And what Paul was telling everyone was, you contribute nothing to your salvation. Acts 13 is describing this trip to Galatia, and it says that Paul was preaching this message in the region of Galatia, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. They were thrilled, but the Jews incited devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. This was an offensive message, and they drove Paul out. So Paul and Barnabas move on down the road to an area called Lystra, and they continued preaching the gospel. This message of grace incited so much opposition that Acts 14 tells us that Jews came from Antioch and Iconium to stone Paul. At this point, okay, Paul had traveled about 100 miles away. Imagine having people that hated you so much that they would walk 100 miles to throw rocks at you. Think about that. I looked this up. It is 98.7 miles from Melrose, Mass. to Portland, Maine. But there is no Amtrak down Easter from Antioch to Lystra. These guys strapped their sandals on and walked 100 miles to throw rocks at Paul. These are serious enemies, okay? If there was someone I hated that much, I would get to about Newburyport and be like, what was I so upset about? <laughs> like, so when Paul addresses the Christians, he warns them about false teachers, and he says, they are misleading you because they don't want to face what I've faced. They don't want my enemies. These guys are contradicting the gospel, but they are doing it to avoid persecution. That's what this good showing is about. They want you to be circumcised, not because they really believe it's helpful and because they have the best interest of your soul in mind. No, it's because that's what the Jewish persecutors want. That's what they stand for. They can't have the same guys that stoned Paul come after them. They don't want Paul's enemies. They want to make a good showing for the Jews, so they are telling you to have a procedure done so that they can be safe. So Paul's saying, we're not even really debating theology here. We're talking about people that love approval, that love themselves, that hate persecution, and therefore they are leading you astray. That's what a false teacher is. A false teacher is a coward. A false teacher loves the approval of men. And he or she will sacrifice it for the good of other, they will sacrifice the good of other people to get it because they don't want to be persecuted. Back at the beginning of the letter, Paul said, am I now seeking the approval of men? Am I, or am I, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul realized that allegiance to the powers of the world and allegiance to the gospel cannot be mutually maintained. They are 
exclusive. And he said, I am not trying to please man anymore. I am done with that. You can see the scars on my back. You can see the dents in my head. But watch out for these guys. They are afraid. And they would risk your eternal good so that they can avoid persecution for the cross. When a false teacher says, we are going to be fine, that isn't a response that will make people hate you. But it is false comfort because it avoids talk of sin, of repentance, and atonement. Right? I don't think Paul, with his ripped up back and his dented head, would be on the life you want to her. Because he would say that the life that you want does not even matter. The life that Christ lived is all that matters. And apart from faith in his life, in his death, we are lost. No matter what we look like on the outside. The false teacher is not necessarily removing the cross. Okay? That's one of the things that's interesting here. Not necessarily removing it entirely. Paul didn't say that the Judaizers want to get rid of the cross. It's the first century. Everyone agreed that this happened. But they're repackaging it, making it more palatable. They're shifting the cross from the center by requiring observance of the law. They don't want to be persecuted. Matt read from this passage earlier to open our service. This is Isaiah 53. So we're going going Old Testament now. But I want you to hear about what the prophet said about Jesus. It said, He grew up like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus did not make a good showing. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He did not come to earth in a way that was outwardly appealing. Jesus made a bad showing. But he did it so that we could appear right before God. So let me close with a couple simple points of application. First is this, and I think it's the simple one that Paul would make. Beware of the false teachers. Beware of the people pleasers. A false teacher wants to look good and sound good, but ultimately they love approval. Their final aim is their own safety and comfort. And to obtain that end, they are willing to minimize the cross. And Paul is very clear. You need to see that that's what's happening here. 
There are many today that although circumcision is not our issue, there are many who in the name of making Christianity more palatable, more acceptable in our culture, would downplay the core of the Christian faith. They would downplay the cross. There are many who would like the cross as inspirational, as symbolic, as an example of what Jesus is like. But they don't want to be hated. They don't want to be persecuted. So they don't want to say that the cross was bloody and repugnant. They don't want to say that this was necessary, not as a symbolic gesture, but because of the disgusting nature of our sin. Why? Because it's off-putting. You know, I've been thinking about this recently, but as Christians, we believe some very strange things. We believe that the life and death of a man who lived in the first century, who was fully human and fully God, is the hinge to all of history. We believe that right standing before God is only possible through the life and death of that man. And we believe that Jesus will return riding on a white horse, strange, to judge the living and the dead. Those are strange truths. That was strange in first century Greco-Roman culture. That is strange in 21st century north of Boston culture. But we don't need to water that down. We are not going to be a faithful church in the world with a sub-Christian theology. Instead, we need to hold to those truths tighter, and we need to communicate them as clearly, as winsomely, as articulately as possible. Secondly, and this is connected, let's be people that embrace the scandal of the cross. This text implies that persecution is to be expected for all those who hope in the cross. It's really only through the cross that we get free from our addiction to approval and to our fear of man. Paul said at the conclusion of this letter in Galatians 6.14, he said, Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. To be a Christian will cost you the favor of the world. It will. I can't tell you specifically what that's going to look like. Yes, Paul tells us that as much as possible, we should live quietly and peaceably. We don't go around looking for trouble or for enemies. But we must be content to be thought poorly of. Remember, we are people that follow Jesus. He said, remember the words that I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus came, not making a good showing, not looking for the approval of man. That's our example. And he did it, not so that we could make a good showing, but that we could stand approved before God. Let's pray.
Spirit, thank you that you warn us in this text and that you also point us back to Jesus who took the punishment that uh, we were not going to be able to handle and that we were not going to be able to atone for. We thank you for that, that these words remind us of that. We pray that we would be faithful to the cross, not looking for approval anywhere outside of you. We pray for that. I ask that for each one of us today. Amen.